0: This episode has a little bit of swearing in it, from the kitchen table. This is gate close panic.
1: Hi, I'm Tilda Cobham Hervey, and I'm 25 years old, and back in Adelaide where I grew up, and I am an actor and uh, trying my hand at writing and directing and. Um, Yeah, interested in lots of different things, but I guess mainly an actor.
0: I started Get Close Panic in 2017 as a way to keep learning after I'd stopped studying and as an excuse to reach out to people I wanted to know. Tilda was one of the first guests friends suggested to me and one of the first people I reached out to back when there were no episodes released and nothing to reassure you that it wasn't just going to be a bin fire being on the show. When I first started contacting people for the podcast, I genuinely thought most people would say no Because they didn't know me well, or they were afraid of being interviewed, or they didn't know how it was going to turn out. Tilda was one of the first people to say yes, and we spent the following three years emailing back and forth trying to find out a way we could be in the same city so we could sit down and talk. In the end, we recorded via Zoom because it's better to have the conversation digitally than never have it. You have to really trust someone to let them interview you to let them control the editing and let them frame the interview in the way that I do. And honestly, it still astounds me that people continue to trust me with that work. Before I started recording this episode, Tilda told me that she'd been so keen to do it because most of her interviews, at least the kind she does for her work, don't really allow her to speak candidly and openly about what's important to her and what her life is really like day to day. It was such a pleasure to hear her be open about the experience of striving to do something you love, something that's meaningful to you, and how much of a toll that can take. All the time spent without work, all the time without a solid base or a strong community, how the work can bleed into every part of your life. Right at the end of the episode, there's a pause and then a sort of epilogue. We'd stopped recording and then, as often happens, the conversation started to deepen. So we turned the recording back on to close with those ideas you can really only reach after spending a long time speaking to someone and threading together a story with them. Tilda captures what it is to cobble together a meaningful life in really simple terms and what's risen to the surface for her over recent months as being truly important and valuable to living well. This episode was recorded shortly before the US election last year. The audio is a little uneven here and there because of the nature of the digital interview. Enjoy. Nice to meet you, finally. <laughs> Thank you. I know it's been a long time in the making, this It has. Um, okay, cool. So as I said, just starting wherever feels natural. When are your first memories of starting to think about working in an earnest way?
1: It's a really interesting question because I feel like my parents are both in the arts So, my mum's a dancer my dad's a lighting designer. Mum's now a producer and dad's a director. But growing up, you know, we were on the road a lot in the back of theatres and I think work was because their work was also their passion and their favorite thing to do as my work is now. Um, I was always around work. So I feel like I was always very interested in the idea of work. And I think, you know, I first started performing at age nine. I had joined a circus a local circus school in Adelaide and sort of got accepted into the performing troupe when I was probably 10. Um, So you know that we actually got paid for those performances we did I think you got like nine dollars or something so I guess that's my first experience of like actual work um and then I did my first professional show at age 12 with my mum was in it my dad was lighting and designing it and that was pretty wild because it was a dance theater piece with this incredible um, choreographer and uh, director Kate Champion in Sydney and first of all it was strange because it was so in the family Um, Like, we were all working on this thing together, except my brother, who was two at the time, so we couldn't really find a role for him. Um, But it had a person in the show from every generation. And it was performed, the opening night was at the Sydney Opera House, and it was like this big show. So it was quite a wild way to sort of begin. And I guess I sort of caught the bug from there. Yeah, but I've had lots of weird jobs along the way. So that was sort of the entry in, I
0: guess. Did you continue to do sort of performing arts style work through school?
1: Completely. It was actually a really complicated part of school. I loved school. Like, super nerd. Was very excited to just be (laughs) taught. Like, still miss it. But I was away a lot. Like, I was on tour a lot. Um, with So when I was 14, I sort of started a, naively, this felt like a really easy, just great thing to do when you're 14. I was like, let's start a company. So me and some of the older people in the circus sort of performing troupe, they were sort of probably older, I mean, like 16, 17. Right. Um, we all sort of got together and were like, ah, oh, let's just make a show for the Adelaide Fringe. Like, how hard can this be? And we created this sort of one hour show called Free Fall um, mm-hmm. and a company called Gravity and Other Myths. They're now incredible and travel all over the world and definitely check them out. They're amazing. Um, so we sort of started this thing, started a show, and it went really well. And then we ended up sort of touring that from until I was like 19. So that was a long sort of stint of doing that show and doing gigs along the way. And so that took me out of school quite a bit as did the show I was talking about before the age I'm in um, that toured to you know, Montreal and wow. to Korea yeah. and Dublin. And we did a regional tour around Australia as well. So there was lots of time sort of in and out of school. And then the first film I did, um, I got when I was 16 and that shot every Tuesday, only on Tuesdays for a year. So that meant that I missed every Tuesday of my final year of school. And we sort of had to work that into how I was going to complete work at yeah. the
0: same time. I mean, this might be kind of a, this question might have an obvious answer, but did it feel clear to you throughout school that this would, would be what you would try to do professionally? Or were you still unsure about whether you kind of tried to tread another path when you finished?
1: Look, I think I always knew I was going to be in the arts. I didn't really know what a real job was. I still don't. I just never grew up with people that worked nine to five. I grew up with people that worked, you know, it was their favorite thing to do their job and they worked till from, you know, 6am to midnight. And that was sort of all encompassing and part of your life. So I don't think I really understood a different version of, of that, but I also was really interested in event management. Um, I worked with my dad a lot on sort of events he was running. There was an event called Barrio and Surrender and stuff that were part of, like, the Adelaide Festival, these sort of clubs where we'd do ridiculous things like get the Ferret Society to bring their ferrets through one night and capture audience members and get them on a boat. And we just got to be very naughty, really. Um, So I really helped on that, and I loved doing that, and I would still love to do more of that. Um, I loved performing. I was never the most coordinated person, um, so it was quite weird that I was in a circus. Um, I loved the making and I loved the people that we were creating with, but I was just a bit shit at it, to be honest. (laughs) I think, like, I always sort of imagined I would be doing that, I guess, but, like, I kind of knew I wasn't ever going to be, like, incredible at it, but I was always the one going, like, okay, how can I still remain a part of this troupe? Like, how can I find a way in? So my version of that was my interest in performance and creating work and story, like, So I'd be hula hooping and going, okay, like maybe I could talk at the same time. And I sort of started to become the one in the group that would always be like putting in like weird, wacky monologues, like into a show. Um, And I was making a lot of like very dorky one woman shows in my bedroom. My hero was Miranda July. And I was always like, I love, like writes a book and then like makes an art piece and then like makes some wacky film. That's like kind of not perfect, but ideas are awesome in it. So that was always my dream, I think. And I think it is still my dream. Like, it feels a bit like I love it, but I'm also interested in other pieces. So when I sort of fell into the acting stuff, that was actually quite a shock. Like, I still feel it took me a very, I probably until a year ago, um, did I actually write that my job was actor on a form? Um, I just didn't feel... I don't know, maybe it's one of those like imposter syndrome things of like I never trained and I never went, I want to be a film actor. I was sort of interested in performance, but in a way, I felt much more comfortable making my own stuff because then I think it's part of like that team sport thing, I think. Like I'm always terrified that I'm going to ruin it for everyone else where if it's just me, I feel like, well, oh, if it screws up, it's only only on me. Um, yeah. So, Yeah, acting was very weird and I didn't feel great at it and I still find it really scary. Um, So, yeah, that part was a surprise, but I think always something in performance or, you know, creating experiences for people.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because I think it's also i imagine it's such a different way to express yourself if you're an actor within you know a much bigger team as opposed to doing things on your own where you have your hands in sort of every aspect of a performance and and are more in control of or at least can influence more sort of the the audience experience whereas you know you, you're really just doing one part when you're just acting within a much bigger a much bigger team
1: Yeah, I think it's that. And it's also, I guess, because I came from a world of devising and creating your own work, it was always very similar to me and close to my experience. And I think the idea of acting always really scared me that I'd have to try and be someone else. And I think I was really terrified of that being really inauthentic or how that would work or you actually do that like acting that's sort of weird you can't really hold on to it it's very hard to actually figure out what the job is and Mm -hmm. i think as i've sort of done it more i've learned that it is actually just being you as much as you can be within those experiences i sort of the only way i can sort of get around it now is i guess your job is just like trying to have as much empathy as possible Mm -hmm. for someone else's experience um but yeah it still is a I think the system of filmmaking I still find quite confusing.
0: Yeah. And I think if you're having experiences and, and I feel like a lot of young performance experiences are on stage with an audience right there, I imagine moving to a film set, it, I mean, there's just, there's, I guess there's less, there's less to respond to and there's a very different energy. Um, and I imagine, it, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine it being an easy transition
1: and there's no rehearsal i think that's a really weird thing so you know on when you're doing a theater show you spend weeks rehearsing you yeah. know exactly what's going to happen and you get on set and they'll have changed the schedule and you end up doing scene 70 instead of scene 40 and You get on and you get three takes at this thing, but no one knows what it is. No one's blocked it out. You sort of get there and just have to be in the moment when there's, you know, a camera in your face here, you're standing on a box and you're having to like tilt your head a little bit so they can get the right eye line for you or whatever it is. Like it feels so unnatural, but the whole point of film is to like capture the most authentic and most natural experience of like being in someone else's shoes or life. So I think that part of it feels super weird to me and I always find it weird that even stuff I've been in I mean I'm terrible at watching anything I've been in but I'll always watch it once and when I do that I'm always shocked because I'm like my memory of that was like 70 people in a room like someone fussing with my hair two seconds beforehand (laughs) like standing it just felt so unreal and then you watch it through the lens and you're like even though I remember all of that stuff, I just believe it's in this different space. Like, you sort of forget all of that when it comes out. And I've always found that part of it really confusing that, I don't know, that, yeah, that reality is so un unreal on a set, but that's all you're trying to do. Yeah. Is yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so I, I guess I'm conscious of the fact that you're sort of... Um, uh, I don't mean this in a condescending way. I'm going to say you're only 25. In that it hasn't been that long since you you were kind of coming out of school. Um, what what did the sort of after you finished year 12 and you were kind of looking out at the years ahead of you? What were you imagining was was going to happen for you next?
1: What a good question. Um... I'm not really sure. I mean, I think I've always had a bit of a weird trust that I'll figure something out. Yeah. Like I was working in T2 for years. That was my job all through high school and way after, like until I was probably 23, I was still working there pretty full-time because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of space in between uh, acting jobs. And, you know, you've got to try and find... the I think it's very rare that an actor would not have to have multiple things they were doing. Yeah. Um, But yes, I think I came out and, you know, the first thing I sort of did, I did another film straight after 52 Tuesdays called One-Eyed Girl when I first finished school. Um, And then I went travelling for a little bit. I was sort of questioning whether I was going to try and go back into the circus world. We actually did a three-month tour straight afterwards after I finished school as well. That was sort of my last big show I did with them. Um, and I was helping Dad with these events, and I was sort of just trying to pick up work where I could, I guess. At that point, I did have an acting agent in Australia, but you know, I was so fresh and green to it all. But I didn't know how to audition. Like I wasn't auditioning for American stuff at that point, just Australian. But you know, I'd go into rooms and I'd never really read a script. The first film I did, we didn't have a script. We got the script every Tuesday. So we'd film for a day and then we'd get the script for the next week. So it wasn't like I knew what that looked like. And we didn't have any hair and makeup or costumes. We just wore our own clothes and did our own turned up how we were basically. So I guess that was a pretty big jump to then be stepping into audition rooms, particularly when I wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really get what film was yet or what acting was or how you did it I didn't have any technique except like trying to really believe it was happening and really push yourself into um, doing ridiculous things to try and make yourself cry and you know (laughs) like just sort of really learning from the people around me I guess but yeah so I sort of got out of school not really sure what I was doing um at one point I sort of really wasn't doing anything for ages and In year 12, the way I sort of got through that final year of school, because I was away a lot, was um, instead of being in the school play, I decided to make my own one woman show. And in art, I decided to make like this art installation. And that was amazing. They really gave me so much freedom. And I made this one hour, one woman show and in school, and I sort of performed it for the school and never really did it again. And there were bits in it that I really enjoyed. So when I was probably 19 or 20, I put it on again. Yeah, um, I rented out the theatre and tried to get all of the sort of directors I admired and producers I admired in Adelaide to come and see it as an attempt to be like, hey, like I'm doing a thing and I'd love a job. Um, and I don't know if that helped me a little bit with that was sort of probably how I got into one of my first theatre jobs with Geordie Brookman at State Theatre. Um, so I think it was always a process of just really continually trying to self-create um, when you're not getting offered things and and continue to put yourself out there and try as many different things as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I got to America, so our film, Fifty Tuesdays, got into Sundance and Mm -hmm. that was when American agents were kind of like, we'd love to represent you. And that's sort of when it pushed out into getting auditions and sitting in my room in Adelaide, getting my mum to read like my boyfriend and I was pretending to be like an American high school kid doing the worst American accent of all (laughs) time. Like having learned it off YouTube tutorials or whatever, like real disaster. Um, So, yeah, I guess that was sort of that middle section.
0: How did that, like, I I guess sort of coming out of 52 Tuesdays, which I, I imagine to have been... I guess an, an exciting experience, particularly at that age, um, and and in a film that was well received. And then, you know, kind of getting calls from agents, which just feels like such a such an abstractly exciting thing. Um, how how did that sort of that period where you were starting to think about doing things like auditioning? How did it feel?
1: I think there was a level of excitement to it and a real level of fear. I think I probably still have that. And I think it's that thing of, I never went in wanting to be an actor. Mm. Even when I got cast in 52 Tuesdays, I literally spent the first month going, you shouldn't be casting me in this. Like I can't. The character description for Billy, who's the character I play in that film, was like 16 and fierce and sexually aware. And I was 16, never kissed a boy, couldn't say a swear word without going bright red. And the first three lines of the film were fuck. I had Sophie, the director, on the side of the road on the first day being like, just practice a lot of times. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> fuck. And I just like, it was so hard to get that out of me. So I think that that was a really weird way in. And I sort of then getting auditions and and agents and all of this stuff, I was like, they're going to find out I have no idea what I'm doing. And I still feel that on every job, but particularly then. Um, And it was weird at the beginning because I got a lot of interest on big things. I think that happens something about this industry that I think when you're about 18 and you're a girl, that's like your peak, you know, and if you haven't made it by 25, it feels a bit like, oh God, well, how am I going to do this? Like, it's a really different thing. And I think it happens for men much later, you know, all of the good roles for men are when they're 30. I do think this is changing, but, you know, I went and met with Tim Burton and like was getting close to all of these like massive kind of like Marvel movies and, but had no clue what I'm doing. And it was hard because I was, getting really close to a lot of things, but with sort of no technique or experience. And yeah, it it was weird and all felt exciting, but then of course, a lot of it didn't happen. And then there was that weird stuff sort of after a year and a bit, that I was like, oh, you've had this thing that I never knew I wanted. And then it's kind of dangled in front of you and you don't get it. And then what do you do? Um, So that was quite a strange experience, but I'm really glad it happened that way. I think if I'd got any of those jobs, I would have had no skills to be able to do them well <laughs> and I'm really glad. I still feel like I've got a lot more to learn before I would want to jump into any of those, you know, a big film like that. Mm-hmm. So I, think in some ways it's a blessing.
0: I feel like also your emotional resilience at that age, I feel like it would be a really severe challenge, even just the auditions and the process of getting close to those things would be a real emotional challenge, but to then actually do that work, having come from something very different here in terms of your experience of the performing arts, um, it it almost feels kind of age inappropriate um, to kind of have to go through that.
1: It's a brutal business, particularly in America. You know, I think auditioning here is even different. Like in America, you sit in a waiting room with like 20 other girls who look a bit like you, but they're a bit prettier. And you go in, you get one take and you're out. And you've spent, you know, you've learned 16 pages of dialogue. And, you know, it's such a weird way. I feel like so many things in the film industry counter counter to what they're looking for or what the job is or something i mean i think the big thing that i was really lucky about um, is that i never still knew if i really wanted to be an actor so when i first went to america i wasn't getting things and i was like i don't care like i didn't actually (laughs) care about getting them it was sort of more like well they're asking me to do this thing and and i should just go and do it but i don't know if at the beginning i even really wanted to do it and i still am learning that like I'm really bad at saying no to things because I'm always so amazed to get the opportunity to audition for something or to meet with someone. Even when I'm like, I would never watch that movie. I don't want to be in that movie. I find it very hard to not still do it. And I think... And and maybe this is not a great part of me, but I never, ever think I'm ever going to get anything. So it makes the auditioning quite easy because you're sort of like, well, there's no chance I'm going to get this. So who cares? I'll just put it down and see how we go. And I probably need to start trying a bit harder and believing myself I might do a bit better. But um, I think that sort of helps. I think the other thing that probably helped me was quite early on, I saw the auditioning process from the other way, like being behind and seeing people come in on audition and you realise how quickly, you know, when someone walks into the room, you're like, they just haven't got the right energy or their hair's the wrong colour, or like so often it's just something that's completely out of your control. And, um, but yeah, it's got harder recently, I think. Now that I've sort of started actually claiming it as my job, I think it does get harder. Um, For example, I've just come out in a film and, you know my head happens to be everywhere and that's a very weird feeling and that job was really hard and i was so nervous every day of filming that and you know i think it came out much better than we all thought it would but um, i haven't worked for a year and a half and it's really weird because all of everyone's sort of going, wow! so much is happening in your world and what do you want to do next? Or what are you going to choose to do next? And I'm like, whatever anyone offers me, like I am desperate for a job. And I think that's the sort of bit that people don't often realise, like th- that part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, what we're seeing from the outside actually really isn't representative at all of what your working life feels like for you. Yeah. Um, I, so kind of, I I don't want to sort of skip this middle section. So you have, um, you kind of have that experience over that, that period of, of great interest that you, that kind of doesn't seem to seem to come to a great deal. It doesn't come to as much as it promised to. Um, Where did you go from there?
1: Um, I think I sort of just kept trying. I think that's the thing that you, no one talks about enough either. Like, I think you can look at any of these actors you admire and it all looks very easy from the outside. But, you know, I think I was lucky because I didn't go in ever thinking I was going to be an actor and I didn't expect a lot from it. People kept telling me all these things. And I think that's another thing that really was hard about America for me is... I think it's a very American thing. Every meeting you go to, it's the best meeting you've ever had and they're completely like, you're amazing, and but nothing comes of it. So the, the sort of lying and the the promise, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was all, it made me quite giggly a lot of the time because some of the things people would promise you or say about you, you're like, that is untrue. Uh, and <laughs> I think always trying to have a sense of humour about that stuff is really important. And mm-hmm. I've learned a lot more now. Because growing up in Adelaide and in Australia in general, I think the film community is much smaller and the theatre community and everyone sort of knows each other and it's much more supportive and collaborative and um, whereas in America that it's just a big industry that doesn't happen like that so much. Um, So I think sort of learning that a lot of it is bullshit is important and it doesn't matter very much and... um, yeah to sort of keep your wits about you and remember that that's not a reflection of you Not that that's easy to do all the time but I sort of spent a bit of time in LA and then came back to Australia and just sort of kept trying to potter around on things here and I've always been lucky that whenever I've got to the point of going like all oh, things are really I really need money or I really nothing's happening I've been able to find something to sort of keep me going for a bit um so yeah i think it does have to come with you just have to make sure you keep coming up with your own stuff as well yeah
0: yeah um how how were you living during this period like were you um were you kind of bouncing around did you have a sense of stability did you have a you know like a solid base um during that time
1: Sort of and sort of not. Like I was, so the first sort of few years, I still lived with my parents. Um, I'd travel a bit, like you'd go to a film festival, you'd go to LA and do six weeks of trying to audition and get a job and come home with your tail between your legs Um, or whatever it was. Um, But then I sort of moved to Sydney probably when I was like 20. I got a job um, on a TV show called The Kettering Incident that shot in Tasmania. And that was probably my first, that was my first big, Job, TV job, it had money. Like I remember the first day on set. I recently worked with, um, so someone that was the second AD, who's someone who sort of they managed getting you to set, running the set. They're sort of the director's assistant, yeah. and we had the same person on the Kettering incident as we did on Iron Woman, the most recent film I did. And he was laughing so much at me when we first met because on the Iron Woman set for the second time, because when I first turned up on the set of the Kettering incident, you know, I'd never had hair and makeup done. I'd never had a trailer. They'd never been catering. So I woke up at like, my call time was 4am. I woke up at three, ate breakfast, like got totally ready, got in the car and then we're pulling up and there was like all these trailers and like, food and I was like what is this and they're like oh your trailer's just over there and what do you want for breakfast and I was like oh I've already eaten it. And I had a sandwich in my bag for lunch like just had no clue about what I was stepping onto and then it was like this massive set like with all these people and like it that was a really crazy jump for me I just remember spending a lot of the time just being like I am completely overwhelmed and I think a lot of people because they knew I'd been in a film they thought I kind of knew what it would be like but I was like <laughs> Just no idea, but I was really lucky to have amazing, it's always just having amazing people around me. I feel really lucky that there was a gorgeous, the actor Elizabeth Debicki, who's incredible. Yeah. Um, she really took me under her wing during that process and um, you know, made it all feel very normal and looked after me a lot on that set. Um, so I'm really grateful to all of those people along the way um so that held me that kept me going for a while that job um, and that was a six-month shoot as well so it was a long time so I'd bounce between Tassie and, and Sydney for that Um, But yeah, always a bit up and down, then sort of went to New York for a while, lived in this like terrible, tiny, dingy like room. There was like this hot pole on the side and if you'd roll over, (laughs) you'd burn your arm, like it was the heating system for the whole apartment building. So yeah, it's definitely not glamorous and only recently have I sort of, my partner has a house in LA and I'm like, whoa, there's like a place with my stuff in it. Like that was wacky to me (laughs) still.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I just like, I think the combination of the ambiguity of jobs and then the ambiguity of where you're living would be completely overwhelming for somebody like me who is um, uh, having something stable to hold on to is really essential for my mental well-being. So I take my hat off to you at being able to just ride those waves.
1: Well, I am like you. If anyone knows me well, they're like, I love a plan. I love to know what's going to happen next. I write a to do list every day. But yeah, my life is completely um, does not suit that kind of uh, my personality. And I do think about that a lot as well. I think naturally, I'm quite an introvert. And I'm very good at being anxious and nervous about things. And then I have to step out and you know, onto a film set and pretend you know what you're doing or, you know, take on other roles or do press or I've just been doing press for this film. And that is the weirdest part of this job. I think when you're getting on with all these strangers and having to talk about yourself and kind of tell yourself when you're talking about a film. I love doing the film, but I watch it and go, oh, my God, I should have done that differently. And, this differently, and you're having to be like, it's amazing. And I'm great. And it's yeah. so <laughs> hard. Like it's, yeah, that's a tricky part.
0: It's like when you go into job interviews and you have to talk about why, why you're wonderful, which just feels so deeply unnatural. I think particularly as a woman.
1: (laughs) Completely. And I've really got told off for that a lot. Like when I first started auditioning in America, I'd go in and, you know, would suggest other people for the role that I thought would be great like was just so bad and kept being like oh I'm not that great at it like I'm still learning and would go in and go well I'm not really sure if I want to be an actor yet but you know um, I liked the script and my (laughs) agent would bring me out and go oh my god what are you saying like you have to at least pretend that this is what you're living and dying by like and that you're the best person for it like learn to sell yourself so I'm still learning that side of the business, the business side. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I mean, and I feel like that also feels distinctly Australian to me, to just want to have a candid conversation with somebody.
1: Completely, like when someone starts blowing smoke up your bum over there and you're sort of like, I'm actually just not that great. Or you make a self-deprecating joke and they go, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're like, I was joking like that. I don't actually think that. Like there's just the humour is very different. Oh no, Yeah.
0: Um, how, how, um, how much time over the last sort of, I guess, like, I'm, I'm, it's a bit foggy this period of time because you don't have traditional jobs. And normally when I interview people, it's like, and then that job ended and I had a new job. So it's easy for me to block out what was going on in this period. Yeah. But how much of this, this sort of period of your kind of early, early to now twenties have you spent in the States?
1: Look, it's weird, not heaps, but it's sort of been my primary residence for a while. The last sort of two and a bit years, um, I've been grateful to be working a bit more. I mean, not in the last year and a half, but before that. So sort of what would it have been like 2018, 2017, 2018, I guess. And my partner travels a lot for work. So we ended up being traveling a lot like there was a period sort of last year which feels bizarre now that we can't get on a plane where every two or three weeks I was on a plane to the opposite side of the world and that was really (laughs) full-on would not recommend um and that was for various things just trying to keep a relationship and also for work or for you know coming back to Australia to do two days on something and then going back to LA or um you know and I think at the stage I'm at now, I don't have the luxury of being like, and I'm traveling business and staying in a five-star hotel. Like (laughs) it might look glamorous from the outside, but it's just not in reality. Um, So there was a lot of travel then, but yes, in terms of a home base, it's been America for sort of the past three years.
0: And how does it feel to be there? Particularly, I think at the moment, but I mean, really generally the last few years in the States from the outside at least has seemed um, confronting.
1: Yeah, particularly the last six months I found super challenging. I'm very happy to be back in Australia. Look, it's a place that I know we all speak English and, you know, we follow a lot of Americans' trends and we grow up watching their TV and films. It still feels incredibly foreign to me as a country and a culture. Um, I don't know if I'll be there my whole life. There's parts I really love about America. Um, There's parts I find really difficult, like politically right now, America's very complicated. Um, I don't think it always feels very safe. Um, and I think LA particularly, it always feels a little bit like unreal in that city. It's, you don't sit on a train like you do in London or Sydney or and see lots of different people who have lots of different jobs. like really in LA, you walk around our area and, you know, everyone's in their yoga pants with their green smoothie and they're an actor, you know, or you go into a coffee shop and everyone's writing a script or like on the phone to their producer. And that cliche I really think is real. And I find that kind of strange, particularly when our job as actors is to like reflect real life and then you're living in a city that isn't necessarily totally real. Yeah. Um, but there's parts of America I love. I mean, in terms of work opportunities, really helpful to be there. It's sunny all the time. There are some great humans there, great restaurants. Like, you sort of find your click there. But the last six months I found really challenging, Um, you know, the way that they're dealing with COVID is really hard to watch we were very very careful we didn't leave the house for like five months really we only saw each other so I haven't seen anyone but my partner for probably we've (laughs) gone there was like two people we'd sometimes put masks on and go on a walk with but yeah you couldn't leave the house without a mask on for the last five months you couldn't see anyone couldn't go to a restaurant all we did was go to the supermarket and go on walks and then be in the house so that was very strange and we did that because we would drive around and everyone would be out hugging eating food in a restaurant and there was sort of no this sense that like it's not going to affect me and i think maybe because our area as well had a lot of sort of young people in it it didn't feel like it was a problem yeah um and i found that really challenging that you know that there wasn't more looking out of outside of your own self and what it could do for other people Um, So that's, I guess, just my little L.A. rant. And then, of course, the protest that went on. That was really challenging. I mean, I find it just deeply sad that we still live in a world where people have to march on the street to get basic equality and respect and safety. I mean, it's absurd that it's taken this long to start having some of these conversations around race, particularly in America. I mean, and in Australia. But I just think the violence level in America is so intense. Yeah, and just watching the news every morning, uh, it's like living in a weird sci-fi movie or something over there and i'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen around the election i think it's going to get very intense yeah over there so yes that part of america i still don't quite gel with
0: yeah yeah and i it's hard to imagine ever doing so it feels um you're you're right it does it feels distinctly foreign okay so i i'm gonna just like ask you a really vague question um have we skipped over anything kind of important in that period of time? Because it's kind of, it's hard to get a, it's hard to get an idea of the timeline between sort of um, your early twenties and now in terms of your work.
1: I mean, I guess the other thing to mention is I was lucky to keep doing, like I had some theatre jobs come in and they taught me a huge amount, like being on stage and getting to rehearse. There was a show I did called Things I Know To Be True with State Theatre. Um, And that was a very odd experience because that title and the sort of opening and ending monologue that my character did was very much based on my life um, and a story I told. And that was a very (laughs) (laughs) weird... I'd gone to Europe and had this big romance with this guy and he totally broke my heart and I sat on a a train and wrote a list of all the things I knew to be true and realised it was a very short list. Um, So that was a very unusual... um, thing to play out every night but also a very I think keeps coming back to this sense of how I've grown up and it's about devising work that comes from you and I think that is what always saved me when I was sitting in New York and had no job and eating you know tin soup was I love writing and I've always done it for my own brain to just like get things out or I did some project when I was in Tasmania on that job because there was a lot of downtime. I started sending anonymous letters to strangers and I would send like 200 letters a day a week sometimes so I started this website and I would get anonymous website and you could put your name and address and I would just send people things every week and it was this sense of like trying to figure out things in my brain that I couldn't work out Um, like these things we're all told to live for I just I didn't grow up with religion and I always felt like art was how I sort of tried to make sense of things or gave me a sense of something bigger. Mm. Um, So I think all of these little kind of weird art projects or like writings that I did were always part of this idea of how to understand the world or be a part of the world. And um, I think that has always saved me in this industry that whenever there isn't stuff going on, I go back to trying to just make something so there was a period of time probably in 2017 when I got this grant application to go and study um creative processes, because I think I've always been really amazed at, like, how people make things. Like, there's always this idea that, like, a theatre show, you just watch it or, like, an art installation or a film or whatever it is, like, but how do they actually happen? And any theatre production you go into, it's, like, the process of getting there is so different. And same with film. Every time you step onto a film set, yes, it's sort of scheduled the same way, but the actual process of making is so completely different. So I really wanted to learn more about how people make so I sort of went and started doing this, pro- This I went to Portland and there's this amazing art and social practices course, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of all about making work that connects to community. And it was while I was there that, I started writing a short film called A, 12, a Field Guide to Being a Twelve Year Old Girl. Um, and that was in collaboration with Sophie Hyde, who um, was the director of 52 Tuesdays. I've been back and forward with Closer Productions so many times, and I wish I could just work with them on everything because they're my favorite people ever. It's very hard to start with them. They sort of set the bar so high, and then you get onto other film sets and other jobs and like oh, gosh, I like, wish I could go back there. Like, can't we do it like that? And I think it's because they're so collaborative. But Sophie had really pushed me to go for this grant application um, that the ABC was putting out for young female filmmakers to make a 20-minute film for 12, for 12, inspired by sort of writing a letter to your 12-year-old self. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I sort of put in a grant being like, I'm not a director, don't think this will go anywhere, but we'll give it a crack, and we got it. Um, So then I had like two or three weeks to write a script um, and we sort of came up with this concept and I think that was a really big turning point for me. I hadn't worked for a while then. I was living in L.A. my partner was really busy and working heaps and I think that's also a hard thing when you're in a creative couple and you're sort of like my god I just feel really you know you start to feel bad that you're sort of not doing stuff and and he was writing something at the time and it really inspired me to go like again oh wait I could do that so I started writing this thing and came back and sort of filmed that in Adelaide and had such an amazing time with these 12 12 year olds they were like so inspiring and incredible and Throughout that experience, yeah, I just had a real ball and I got to work in the way that I wanted to work by like it being collaborative and, you know, really having everyone super involved. And I really enjoyed that and learned a lot. Like it was hard and stressful and all of that, but really great. Yeah. Um, and I think from that experience, I was really lucky that it got into the Berlin Film Festival and, and won an award there, which was super amazing. And it's really pushed me after that experience to go, okay, what else do I want to do? Like right now, because I haven't worked in a year and a half, I went, okay, what can I go and do in this time? And I'd been reading this, I got given this book, actually by Elizabeth Debicki on the Kettering incident called All My Puny Sorrows, um, by this Canadian author called Miriam Taves, and I just fell in love with it. And then I sort of started going and looking through all of her other work and read this book called Irma Voth, And it's about a girl who grows up as a Mennonite in Mexico and then sort of becomes the translator for this traveling film set. Couldn't be more different to my upbringing, but I felt so similar to the main character. Like I just felt so aligned with her brain and I'd always thought it would make a great film. And after sort of doing the film I'd just done, I Am Woman, I'd just wrapped it and it's sort of about the story of Helen Reddy and her life and, Um, how she went out to she got this record finally got a record dear after five years of trying really hard to get anywhere and she was looking for a song that would sort of represent her and couldn't find one so she wrote one and that song became I am woman and it sort of made me inspired to go okay like what stories do I want to tell how do I use my own voice and I went I'm going to try and adapt that book so I've now been sort of writing that into a screenplay. I just sent off my draft last night, actually. (laughs) Um, So that has been a really great experience too, of sort of having a crack and keeping your brain busy in the breaks, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, How how has sort of this period of lockdown affected your work life, but then also your kind of thinking the way that you're thinking about your work life and your creative mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's such a weird time for everyone, but I think, you know, particularly artists and people in the film world, because you really need people in the same space and being very close. Um, So it has been weird. Yeah, it was odd because I sort of got close to a lot of projects in the Jan, February sort of time. Um, And they were sort of just finalising their dates and there was sort of talk of this thing called COVID in the States, but no one was really acknowledging it yet. Um, And then of course the world shut down. So it was sort of like this build of, I sort of thought there was going to be a few things happening this year and then everything just went silent. Um, I was already writing Irma Voth, the script at that point or developing the sort of structure. And I was working on it, co-writing another project called Sheila. So I was very lucky to be, have some things to work on. Um, And actually, I don't know how I would have done other jobs and got this draft out. So in some ways, uh, that was good. But it, it was hard to, you know, I think I had a real expectation of what this year could have could have been and what we were all sort of looking forward to. And particularly like the film Iron Woman has just come out and we all had this big press tour we were meant to do in cinemas and, you know, all of that went out the window. And and I was meant to, my partner was meant to be directing his first film in India. We got him sort of on the last flight out of India before they closed the borders. So he had to stop his film. And I was thinking about coming back to Australia, but he couldn't get a visa. So we sort of ended up being in LA. Mm and that was, you know, very odd to be, and I think it was that weird thing, of course, there wasn't much going on, but still actually being focused enough, while the world is so bizarre outside your front door was hard. Um, but it really this time, I mean, it's very hard to talk about silver linings when there's so much tragedy involved in what's happening in the world right now. But I think I'm a real workaholic. I don't know what, I don't have any boundaries. I work all the time. And uh, recently I've been really trying to think about how I can develop more of a social life or a world outside of work. Um, Because I don't think it's healthy um, and I don't think it helps your work to be that obsessed with it I think that the pressure on yourself actually often stops the creativity Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd sort of been thinking about that earlier in the year of really wanting to make more time to just be in the world as a person rather than just working Mm So it was sort of a good lesson I think of slowing down for me of learning about what slowing down looks like and you know, holidaying for me, I just don't know what that is. Um, If I went to a, you know, the idea of sitting on a beach is like anxiety inducing. Um, So I think it really made me sort of think about actually what I want to do and how I want to do it. And I think the importance of, you know, you all start questioning your mentality and like really what you want. And I think what I really learned is I really want to work with people I love and people I admire, nice people, um, know film is not like we're not doctors no one dies at the end of the day you hope like there should it should be enjoyable and um i think the best work comes out of that and i think i've had a few experiences lately where that hasn't been the case Um, so i'm really keen to sort of follow that a bit more as much as you like the script also like the people Mm -hmm. um and a lesson of really not trying to get caught up in the rat race. I mean, as I was saying earlier, there's so many things I auditioned for that I'm like, I don't even want to watch this movie or, Mm. you know, to really actually think about, to have the confidence to say no sometimes um, and to have the ability to sometimes back yourself So like writing a script and going, okay, I'm going to take some time off and actually try and do this thing, even though it won't be as much money or as much, you know, I might miss out on something like to really trust following what you truly want to do, not what you feel like you should be doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, Okay. Um, That's kind of, that's kind of uh, bringing us up to now, I suppose. But um, is there anything that, you feel is sort of salient in your story that we haven't touched on?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. I guess it's that thing of sometimes I have people ask me like, you know, I'm very lucky in the career I've had Mm -hmm. and I feel that, you know, and I fell into acting a bit and it's hard sometimes you get asked like by other people who are really wanting to go out and work or be an actor or know any of these it looks very glamorous from the outside i think some of these moments and you know i'm still very much a small fry but i've also had some lovely experiences with great people and i think it's just really important to know um yeah like how hard it is i still audition like three times a week and i don't get all of those except for the very few that i have been in um and i think it's really important to sort of say that stuff out loud more because I fall into that too. I'm like, Oh my God, these people are just getting everything or like they're working all the time. And it's just never looks like that. And the job is really hard. um, And sometimes really uncomfortable and weird. And, you know, you're traveling all the time. Like you're saying, you have no sense of sort of space and doing a lot of things that feel quite unnatural. It's also the best job in the world. And so extraordinary and you get to hang out with amazing people, but I think it's just really important to acknowledge the hard work and also just how important it is to always have stuff outside that, that you're making or people you really trust. Yeah. Um, you know, I think without people like Sophie Hyde and Closer Productions, I don't know if I would have kept doing this in the same way because they've always been there to support me just as a person and to push me to keep following my passion and, um, and creating my own work and things like that. And I think without that, I would have found this a lot harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We did it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> that was great. Um, I'm going to just st- stop recording now. Just give me one second. Great. Okay. Um, so, just for the sake of explaining, we just turned the recording off and we were having a chat about what it's actually like to live with this job. Um, and uh, we were talking and, and realised that actually it was worth saying. So, um, Tilda, do you want to talk a little bit about what? It's like sort of um, socially and personally and in terms of your um, your kind of uh, emotional life and your sense of community doing this job.
1: Yeah. Um, I know we just got off and realized we didn't talk about this. I think... One thing that I find really fascinating about this job is like the reason I love it so much is you just get to hang out with extraordinary people and develop these really intense relationships really quickly and you become like family, like they're the closest people in your life for those sort of six weeks or three months or however long the shoot is. Um, because you don't have anyone else and you're working these insane schedules like 16 hour days and you know you have your day off and you all get together and have dinner together and that's such a beautiful part of this job like that sense of community and family and I think that's a huge part of why I'm so attracted to this you get to sort of learn so much about yourself each time by jumping into these new families and experiences and relationships and and um, you know having these it sort of teaches you so much about yourself so quickly. Um, But the strange thing is about that, you can have these amazing friendships and then, sort of, you rap and you always say at the rap party, like, we'll be friends forever. Like, can't wait to see you, we'll have coffee next week. And then of course your lives just go completely separate and you might, you might stay really close, but often you don't. And then you'll run into each other at the supermarket and it still sort of feels that close because you've had this insanely, it's like being married or something. You've had this insane experience with someone, but you sort of aren't really connected to their real life, like in the real world version of them. Um, and I think everyone has a sort of version of their self that Comes out on a set or in that experience, and yeah. probably wrapped up in like the character they're playing too. Like that's the other really weird thing about this job is you sort of end up living so many different lives. Like I've been a, a, a murderer, and I've been a, a mother of two, and I've been 48, and I've been a you know a stuck in a terrorist um, attack, and I've you know you've lived through all these weird versions of your life. And I think sometimes what is weird is as much as they're not me. Sometimes I think your body doesn't know it's not real, like because you're pretending it all. I can know and go home and go, that was just pretend and it didn't really happen. But your body sort of lived through the stress of that or the panic of that or whatever it is or the joy of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it does become quite an immersive experience. And I think sometimes it is hard to separate your own self from those experiences and you can't help but those experiences really impact who you are. Um, And I think the other bit that sort of comes with that is you do these projects and you sort of disappear into this world without your family, without your partner, without your friends, because they're so intense. And then you sort of get spat back out into the world and you have to go home and start to try and introduce everyone back to the slightly new version of you or the version of you that's learned a bit more or been through this intense experience. And that can be very odd. So you've sort of got to know that when you're signing on to a project, you might not see any of your people your community for up to six months sometimes, you know? And so you end up having a lot of relationships over FaceTime or thank God for FaceTime. um, Like my partner's just gone to shoot a film and I probably won't see him for seven or eight months. And it's quite a bizarre thing to, and particularly because of the world we live in and travels hard, Um, but you do, I think that's a very odd part of this job as well. It's sort of like every time you pack up and sort of go to war and come back um, changed.
0: Yeah, and I suppose um, when you were saying that, I think it's a whole skill in itself learning to to maintain a feeling of closeness to somebody when the only way that you get to speak to them is over the phone or digitally.
1: It is very bizarre and also you've sort of had a whole day where you've been living this totally li- different life as a yeah. different person with these big experiences and um, that can be very very odd. And and the other part of that, the flip end, I guess, is keeping that closeness. And then you meet someone, for example, on the set of I Am Woman, the person playing my husband in the film, who's, so the guy playing Jeff Ward, Helen Reddy's husband, is an amazing actor called Evan Peters. Um, but he arrived only two days before we started filming. So we had zero rehearsal and had to jump in and just pretended like we had this 20 year marriage and of course we don't shoot in order so we sort of met and would be you know one of the first days we had to like make out for ages and you sort of like it literally feels like you've sort of just met a stranger at a party or something and then there's that like really awkward moment where like they call cut and you're like ha oh, the weather like you know there's just no sense of being actually close yet to have any other conversation but you've just done this quite intimate thing with someone or Like, one of the first scenes we shot was a really big scene at the end of the film, a huge argument scene, Mm. and where I was sort of dressed as a 38-year-old version of myself having this big argument about our children and sort of like, oh, my gosh, what a weird thing to this forced intimacy and this forced sort of intensity um, with another person. It can be very fun and exciting but also really a difficult... um, Sense, I guess that keeping your sense of authenticity or truth, or trying to work out how to make that feel real in the moment, and and uh, yeah, and then you sort of go home to your family and try and explain that you've just been through a divorce or something, and it's like very bizarre, you know. It's very hard <laughs> to articulate those things to people. So yeah,
0: yeah, interesting. Okay, all right. I will. Uh, I will pause our recording again now.